0: And welcome to a fighter's story with Rob Childs, me, that's who I am. I am Rob Childs, and I need to let everybody know that today's episode was a really fun one. We talked to JD today. I met JD over the internet on Facebook, and we talked about going through recovery, going through the rehab process, his story through addiction, some issues that both of us have had with the recovery process along with the history of the big book. It's a little, a little confrontational, but I do think it was done in good taste. Uh, JD is a great guy. He's actually started his own meeting center where he's at trying to help out all the local addicts, not just addicts, but also help out with uh, mindset reset. It's kind of what I believe he was calling it. It's a really good episode. Really hope you enjoy Please stick around, please hit the follow button, subscribe along, and enjoy. Thanks, everybody. All right, JD, glad to get you on here. Thanks for having me. I know it's hot as shit, so probably won't stand here for too long. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we kind of met um, over um, the internet, which kind of seems to be like how that's how everybody's meeting each other nowadays. And we've we've talked a few times, kind of went over your story and everything. And so you're from Pennsylvania and you've started a meeting center. Um, I got to like, first of all, like besides the pod, that's amazing, man. I feel like I've heard at this point, thousands of people, you know, come up with like, Oh, we should have sober dances here. You know, like there should be a meeting place that only does this or, you know, take away the rules and things like that. And for you to actually have stepped up and done it, You know, in the middle of a pandemic when barely people can't even work, you know, you you found a place to be able to do it. So I commend you for that (laughs) one. Um, And that's that's because of COVID, though. Honestly,
1: that's one thing COVID taught me is like, I'm not going to wait around for other people to make money on my ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm tired of like, just sitting around like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish Mm -hmm. I could do that. You know, and that was like behavior I had in addiction. I wish I could because my money was tied up elsewhere. Yeah. You know, but now that money's not. You know, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm going for it. Yeah, like, I, I'm.
0: Yeah, I hate you know. those. uh The it must be nice people, yeah. as well. You know, when it's like the must be nice people are just afraid of doing the work that you you got to do to be able to say it is nice. <laughs> yeah, this is. You know
1: how much work goes into this? Like, yeah, exactly. Said, like, some I've had family challenge me. Like, you're just gonna do a charity year for full time now for your life? Like, hi, like how's that going to work? what are you trying to work only an hour a day? it's like do you know how much work this is? yeah, I, yeah. i'm there 12 hours a day 7 <laughs> days a week what do you mean like yeah. one hour a day? what do you, what do you think i do? yeah you that's know, good. i mean uh, i just got so tired of the meetings thing though like i didn't have a meeting to go to yeah and i'll i'll even you know just some history for anyone who's watching but like i started out i went to rehab with the sole purpose of being able to use cannabis in my recovery. right? You know, I went to a place called High Sobriety. It was in a documentary on Netflix that's not there anymore, Legend of 420. But they mentioned this place, High Sobriety, where you can go and learn how to use cannabis in a positive way and not, you know, in a negative way. So for the first time, after 10 years of using pills every day and drinking for 20 years, I actually considered rehab. And then the next day, I had one of those days of sitting in the McDonald's parking lot for six hours waiting to meet my dude. You know what I mean? Just to get like, oh, I can't make it. And then finally, I find somebody else. And then they're like, yay, I'll get them for you, but it's going to cost you one. You know, so I end up, I'm buying four thirties. thirties. I give one out right away. I do two because I've been sitting in the McDonald's for eight hours with my dog. And then I'm driving back on the PA turnpike with one you know, at this point, the last two years of my addiction, I had spent driving about two hours each way to Jersey from like Amish country and PA, two hours each way to get pills and then back four times a week. So like this, that was like the insanity of the last two years of the addiction was that drive four times a week. Yeah. Coming up with excuses with my family, like, why are you driving there again? Weren't you just there two days ago? Like, I lived with my brother and my dad. We ran a company together. We were together all the time. And I always had to come up with an excuse four times a week for why I'm going to Jersey so it gets exhausting but i always have one i went to a lot of flyers games the one year because that was my excuse like oh i'm hitting a flyers game i'm going to the flyers game <laughs> and i went to like 13 flyers games that year because i use that excuse all the time that's not bad <laughs> <laughs> i love going to hockey games so any excuse to oh, yeah. go to a hockey game i was going to take and i was making good money that year so i was affording my drug addiction and the flyers games yeah. the crazy part you know that was the only thing i was treating myself to besides drugs was going to flyers game just because I love that shit. I love hockey. Hockey live, there's nothing, there's no sport better than hockey live. Like football, oh, I... I don't like live. I think football sucks live. I, I like football on the TV, flipping channels where all the action is, like, you know, red zone. You know, baseball, it's not fun live anymore because you're not drinking the whole entire day beforehand. You know, at least I'm not, I haven't drank any. Yeah. So it's not like I'm tailgating for baseball anymore. I'd rather sit and enjoy the show. But hockey is that one sport that no matter what, like, I love going to live. Oh, yeah, I bro. Want to be, like,
0: yeah, it's it's pretty dope. We live 30 minutes from, like, uh, Little Caesars to where, yeah. like, the Red yeah. Wings play. Brand new and, stadium, right? Yeah, and then, like, 45 minutes from Toledo. And there's, like, a uh, minor league team, the Walleye. Okay. So you can go there for, like, 12 bucks and get, yep. like, a glass seat, you know? Yeah. And, like... There's always fights, at least two no, of those it. are the best. The AHL
1: games, yeah. Oh, yeah, fights, yeah. There's,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, so you're just around a bunch of people that are drinking, having fun. Like, I don't drink, you know, but no, everybody yeah, everybody else is having fun, and so like it's, it's yeah, just the a energy. party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I actually speaking
1: up, of the that. AHL, one of my guests coming up is um Riley Cote, who used to play for the Philadelphia Phantoms before the Phantoms moved. They, they used to be in Philly, right? And I grew up 10 minutes from Philly. So all the it was easy to go to, and back like in the mid two thousands, the same thing five bucks get you a hot dog, a soda, and a seat, you know. Right. right. And this dude was one of their main fighters, but then he got into heroin and stuff like that, and you know didn't quite do anything in the NHL. He was an enforcer, Um, but now he's a big advocate for CBD and getting off heroin. So I talked to him, and we're trying to schedule something for him to be on my podcast about recovery, because I would love to hear like a hockey player's recount of what they went through. And like, cause you know how it is. I'm sure I can already, I can already picture it. Yep. I got really injured one of the years. So the doctor said, here's your Percocets. And then I was off to the races. I can already just
0: put together the story already. Yeah. I played hockey (laughs) growing up and like, it's brutal. Like even just playing AAA. It was my favorite sport to play without a doubt. I
1: played street hockey, not roller hockey. It was, but I played in New Jersey street hockey was huge. That's where I grew up. I grew up 10 minutes from Philadelphia in South Jersey and that's where street hockey was huge for us. So all of us played. There was leagues in all the towns and everything. That was by far the best sport to play in my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not
0: just a sport. Hockey creates a community. You know, and like once you leave it, you miss it. Even It's the
1: only time when you watch like I get all like worked up whenever I watch like the players afterwards, they're always saying we. It's never yeah. I did this or I did that. It's we. Hockey is a Wii sport. Everything else is about self accolades and football. Like, oh, yeah, I rushed for this or I ran for this and I scored this and I, I, I. But when you're talking to a hockey player, it's every, and you'll, you'll hear it now from now on. You're never going to hear a hockey player one time say I. Yeah. An NHL player will always say we in a press conference. And I appreciate that so much because they care so much about it is a Wii sport, it is a Wii game. And I myself didn't do anything you know they yeah. have that humility and that humbleness about them that an addict can appreciate
0: yeah definitely um, so but yeah you, you grew up in south jersey is that where you started using like is that oh, kind of yeah, like where everything my, go or because you're in my breeding ground. is it right. yeah
1: I, I yeah I've moved 30 times five states in 15 years um in addiction I uh, know I moved 27 times in 12 years Jesus. And four states. Yeah. Yeah, And not even close states, North Carolina, Massachusetts, Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? Like Jersey and PA. Yeah. But still it was an hour and a half from each other where I was moving. And then Massachusetts was up in Plymouth, but I lived all over Massachusetts and North Carolina was all the way down in Durham. Like I was like right around the corner from Duke university. Okay. Um, But yeah, I've lived all over. I kept moving because I kept thinking, well, if I leave then I'll be, I'll stop doing pills. (laughs) And then I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that I was going with me still. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I still had other things I had to work on. Like I moved to North Carolina after my fiance killed herself and I just need to get out of Jersey. And I haven't lived in Jersey since she committed suicide because I can't, it's too toxic for me now. Like, all I know is getting high and my first serious relationship with my best friend, you know? So I, I don't like even being in Jersey now. Um, but I, whenever I get, went back, it was to get high or go to funerals now. Now it's to go back to go to funerals.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, um, we got to go to a lot of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one, the first one I had to go back for was right after my six month. Um, my buddy, we, we were backyard neighbors growing up. You know, in Jersey, everyone's on top of each other where we lived. Yeah. Um, so we were backyard neighbors for 12 years. And we both got sober. Well, we both went to rehab at the same time. March, April, I went late April. He went early April. And in March, he went to Florida. I went to California. But we talked all the time on the phone about being in recovery because he was always awake late and I was three-hour time difference. And then we both came back around the same time. The only difference is he relapsed on Halloween. And when he relapsed, he died. That's how it is now because they're putting fentanyl in pills. They're putting fentanyl. They're even putting fentanyl in meth.
0: Yeah, it's in Coke, and it doesn't make sense. I, I don't know. It's just, it's in everything, man.
1: Yeah, I was talking to, I, I have, you know, a, I call him a sponsee. He asked me to help him with the yeah. steps, even though we're not in an AA. And we'll like a mentor
0: type thing? Yeah, like a mentor, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And we're, we're actually going through the steps um, through Russell Brand's book. Okay, yeah Brand, yeah, Brand, that English comedian. He has his own book called yeah. Recovery, and it breaks down the big book. So we've been going over it that way instead just to make it more fun. Um, But he started using meth when he was a mid-teenager, like 15. He started drinking at eight. He grew up in the Pagans, like his dad and shit, like growing up in the Pagans, all around Mm -hmm. meth, like biker meth, crank, they called it. And it's huge in rural PA where we live. And he's been nonstop using. This is, he has three weeks sober now. It's the most time since he was 12 like sober sober yeah he just got a he just got a Vivitrol shot last week I took him (laughs) to get his Vivitrol shot and I was he was like yeah and I can't drink anymore because of this and I was like bro you can't even do meth anymore yeah and he was like well I don't want to do meth and I was like no dude like think about it when you when you were doing meth you were building a tolerance to fentanyl you had fentanyl in your meth so you built a tolerance to it if you were to relapse yeah, usually meth doesn't show up with Vivitrol, and you're good to do meth. But the, all the meth around here has fentanyl in it, which is an opioid, which will Vivitrol will block and make you very sick. Not only that, you haven't done meth in a month and a half now, so that would that much fentanyl will put you in the ground because you you don't have a tolerance to it anymore. And he was like, "Holy shit, I didn't even oh, yeah. realize that." Like, he, you know, he knew he couldn't drink. You know, but he was an alcoholic first, and that's why he's like, I need the Vivitrol shot, because, like, he hasn't done meth in a month and a half, but he drank on the 4th of July, and he didn't want to drink anymore. So he's doing that instead now. So I was like, dude, like, if you relapse, that's what's going to happen, bro. Like, you don't have any tolerance to fentanyl anymore. You were doing that shit every day. And he was like, I didn't even, like, think about that. And then, like, I kind of smiled in my head because my therapist early on told me that I was a master manipulator, (laughs) And she said, but now you need to use your powers for good. She was like, I'm not telling you to stop manipulating people. I'm saying to do that, to help them and not be self-service, not be self-serving when you're manipulating, be manipulating so somebody can help themselves. You don't have to help them. Right. Yeah. Some of that using
0: behavior for good.
1: Yeah. She was like, this way you're not taking something away that you enjoy doing that you, that you, I said, I enjoy doing. I was like, I'm a salesman. I call being a salesman. She goes, yeah, but it's called manipulating and I was like I guess so so whichever way you want to spit it doc yeah exactly Um, but I'm still even friends with my old therapist from like rehab like she's supposed to be on my show soon too just to talk I was like hey I can't get Dr. Drew will you do my show (laughs) Dr. Drew's not answering me back
0: (laughs) (laughs) so Uh (laughs) how did you get into this like so like you started the, the process you know going through rehab and everything and like you were using in Jersey but how did you start using to begin with? Because like when, the little that we did talk, you weren't using like, you know, Vicodin or like the five milligram. Yeah, yeah, like you, you jumped into the 30s. Like, how yeah. do you even?
1: Well, so what that? What had happened was um, <laughs> I was a big drinker and a big partier for a long time. Eleven years old. I started partying, you know, just drinking with my friends, watching The Outsiders you know that's okay. what we thought was a cool Saturday night in fifth grade um and then um what are you I drinking in fifth grade captain and coke was my first ever drink oh damn um, right. yep <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay <So laughs> I just figured like so, I'm a like,
1: zero to 100 guy bro yeah, like because well, yeah. like
0: mine was like uh somebody I was like really young they gave me a sip of a Zima I don't I was gonna say
1: to say Zima yeah
0: yeah one of those and then I think this I hated it and then I stole a beer from my buddy's dad's like beer fridge in the basement. And that tasted like shit too.
1: So, yeah, I, I got lucky that my parents had a good selection in their basement, <laughs> like from parties. My parents are never they're, never, they're not drinkers, but they're the ones that when you go there for a party, they have a giant selection that you can make. You know what I mean? My dad's making yeah. kamikazes. You know, they know how to party, but they don't drink at all unless they're throwing a party. And that's still how it is. When I go there, there's bottles everywhere, but because they know how to throw a party. Um, that's always been my family's MO is throwing a party. Even me, like I was throwing parties when they would go away because I heard the stories they told me about throwing parties. I'm like, well, if you guys are doing it, I'm going to do it. And then put it back in your face when you catch me. So (laughs) I did that. (laughs) But when I was 21, myself and four of my best friends, we all turned 21 within two weeks of each other. So we went hard. Like, I mean, hard. We were at the bar five, six nights a week, just going hard, partying, doing a lot of reckless shit um taking pills here and there if i was at the bars was like hey i got some xanax you know right down the hatch you know whatever i'm blacking out that night percocets tens just here and there somebody had some we called them bananas you know somebody had some bananas at the bar yeah i'll take one i just throw it down it's nothing i never even felt the high bananas? they they were the yellow thin ones there was the fat yellow ones that we called school buses
0: oh okay
1: so the PERC-10s, the actual Percocet ones, not the oxycodone ones, the hydro, whatever, right, right, the actual yeah, yeah. Percocet, the 10-milligram ones, they came in two sizes. There was the skinny ones we called bananas, then the oblong ones that were fatter that we called school buses. All but right, that's yeah. how we always knew what our dealer had was, hey, you got bananas or school buses or nothing. And, they, and usually we, did, we couldn't snort them, though. So I'll get to that, you know, so 21, yeah. we're going hard occasionally doing pills, not much, like even where I catch, I did them consecutively. So random once a month, maybe. And then October rolled around. There was like, everyone was going to the bar and I was just so tired of it. And my buddy was hanging out before he was going out and he was like, oh yeah, I got some tens on me if you want some tens. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take two. Like I'm not going out tonight, but I want to relax. And I for some reason, that specific night, I got so high. Like I was off. You know what I mean? It was that high, you know, that aha moment. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like I was like, wow, I met the love of my life. You know what I mean? Like I consider painkillers my first love, you know, seriously, like that was my relationship first. And I was like, I, you know, cause I'm like, I'll do anything for you. You know, you say the same shit to your drug of choice that you would do a relationship. I'll do anything for you. I'll move mountains for you. Whatever it takes to have you and keep you, I'm going to do. You know, and that was yeah. a relationship that started that night, you know. And within a month, we would have our dude. He was this kind of guy. He passed recently from liver failure because he was an alcoholic. Um, he was at the bar every day until like 6 p.m. You know, that was every, everyone knew Lou was there, just go. And just we would go and just grab some 10s and go home. And then we tried, we're like, oh, what if you snort these? You know, it's 2008. So we couldn't even Google stuff as easy as you can today. Yeah. So there was so much, you know, Tylenol, acetaminophen, whatever they put, the fillers in the Percocets. We're like, oh, this is gross. I mentioned it to my buddy that has them. He goes, oh, why didn't you tell me? And he pulled out another bag of small blue ones. He goes, these are only 20 bucks and they're 30 milligrams and you can sniff them. I'm like, I'll take a lot of them, you know, because... I'd rather get that's like getting the 10 milligrams free every time. Cause again, $20 back then is what they cost. Now they're like a dollar per milligram or more, probably. I don't know. It's been years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but at the time they were 20 bucks and there were small blue ones. And they, you know, the M30s, A215s, the V, we called them V cuts. We all had nicknames for all of them.
0: I do remember the, there was like that little
1: thing the on the v. end of, yeah. yeah. They made me break out every single time. Every time I did them, my face broke out in hives when I had that specific brand. And what's funny is my blood pressure is the exact same brand. So I get the V's on them now and I'm like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> like it brings me back. I, I can't even look at my pills anymore. I guess i to grab it and take it because if I look at it too long, I'm, I'm reminded of like those pills, yeah. but like we called them Johns in Philly, J A W N S. That was like the term for everything if you were to google john's it, there's a lot of like filthy thing it's a term for anything but we used it for pills but it was a way to say hey you have any j's you know in a text message that doesn't sound like i'm asking you for percocets or pills right. i'm saying j's and um but yeah and within a month i had to start selling them because i needed to make money to buy them because again i would do anything for them so within a month i was selling them And I knew right away I was an addict, not right away, but within a month, by the time I started selling them, I, I came to terms with myself. I had one of those conversations a month in, like, I love this. I want this. I want it every day. However, I'm in control of this. And if I do heroin, I'm going to lose control. So the rule is you can do these every day. Just never do heroin and i only came closer to heroin once because that's how much i loved my
0: lady so did this did it come in because i know like uh for me where our stories are very similar i didn't realize that i was addicted to anything until i had to leave my source like i moved like five hours away for like i was traveling as like a bartender every summer i would just you know find the party you know whether it's vegas the grand canyon different islands around the country you know and the first time i left after i had started using i thought i had the flu and it it took a couple times you know and then i found a guy and then he ran out and then it happened again so i didn't even know what detox was did you have to do that or did you have to you just in it
1: i physically and mentally knew i was addicted really quickly um What's funny is I withdrew for the first time um, the previous 4th of July. We had partied really hard that week um, in Massachusetts, visiting my family, I think. No, I forget. Either way, we partied really hard. And I did a lot. Oh, we went to Canada. We were going to Canada for my friend's 21st birthday. Oh, Windsor? And we were going to um, Niagara Falls because my friend was turning 21 on a monday and he was all butthurt that we all turned 21 together and we got to go out and no one's going to want to go out on his birthday on a sunday night blah 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 and i was like all right well let's go to niagara falls then dude we'll party all weekend because you'll be legal and we'll come home monday and then you'll be legal so that's what we did but we had my friend just got like a script and so he's like we got to go through these where we cross the border so we like did a bunch and then like three days later, I didn't even know it. I was back to work and like, I had to go home cause I was so sick and I didn't know why I was so sick. And that was the first time that I ever withdrew. And I didn't know I was withdrawing until a year later when I had withdrawals again to know, Oh, that's what that was that time. You know, it was one of those things, but like, yeah. no, I physically knew I needed this every single day or what would happen to me, you know? And the worst part was, like, I felt responsible for somebody's death early on. Like, I was when I started selling them again, kind of thing. And then I was told by somebody, hey, my brother's out of rehab. You can't sell to him. I'm like, okay. And then, of course, the brother calls me. and is like, hey, I'm looking. I'm like, sorry, dude, but, like, I can't sell to you. I was told not to. And he was like, oh, well, I already relapsed, so it's no big deal. I was like, oh, okay. And then that, just like that, I'm talked into it. I don't even know to this day if that was true or not. I'm going to tell myself it was, but either way I sold to him and I didn't hear from him again. Two weeks later, he got arrested and hung himself in jail with his shoelaces. So, you know, and, and I, and I was like, oh shit, did I do that? You know, that Steve Urkel moment, you know, and, but I try not to like, like think about it too much because obviously like that could really fuck up my mind. Because again, we're all adults and we made decisions and, you know, he told me one thing and I still probably shouldn't have, but either way I did. And he wasn't going to find it for me. He was going to go into Camden because that's what we did. People, we lived two miles from Camden, New Jersey. Right. So everyone went into Camden to pick up. Like I know people that drive from my area of Pennsylvania two hours ago to Camden to pick up because it's the port and that's where all the good shit comes in. So, I mean, Camden's one of the worst cities. Like, it's like Camden and Detroit are neck and neck every year with, like, you know, cities with crime rates and all that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. Camden's, like, always in the top five.
0: I was under the assumption that Camden was, like, a college town.
1: There's a Rutgers Camden, but it's like. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, There's a Rutgers Camden, but yeah, it is not, like, safe. Like, they fired the police a couple years ago. Like, I mean, straight up, like, the police, there's no more police in Camden because of all the corruption. And now they have the county oversee Camden, and you can only be in there for two years, and then you have to get moved to a smaller town because they don't want anyone to stay there for too long to have more corruption in town. Like, that's how bad it is (laughs) in town with Camden, um, that they had to fire the entire police. You know, that's what's bad. Um, so I used to buy drugs there all the time and you know, that's where we went. There's a lot of times that I've had to take people to trap houses and sets. We called them sets, you know, it's the projects and, right. you know, it, everyone has a set where you it's yeah. a trap house, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, drugs run rampant around there. So it wasn't hard for me to get high all the time or sell. I had plenty of clientele. Um, uh, my clientele was always like suburban kids I grew up with. That yeah. didn't want to go to Camden or talk to people higher up than me. So I had plenty of people to sell to. And I all the times I moved around, I always made sure my dealers were taken care of and new people to have as salesmen.
0: You so know, you were I, kind of like the middleman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did I you... had really good relationships with my higher ups too. Like the people I was dealing for didn't do drugs. They were businessmen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they straight and wanted to make money. And I was good at having those friendships with them where I almost like, I'm told now I was manipulating them to be my friend, but no, I was just friendly with them. I would talk to them about sports, movies, whatever, because I'm talking to them every day. That's what happens when you talk to somebody every day, you talk about other shit. So I got to be friendly with all these guys. And then, so they would always like spot me whenever I was short money, we would make it, we would make deals. You know, I found shady doctors to go to, so they would pay for my doctor visits and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was close to all these people. That's why I could go for so long without doing dope. Like think about it. I went nine and a half years of doing like six to 10 thirties a day and never had to do heroin once. You know, I got close one time (laughs) when I was at work and another guy, I was working retail. Another guy I worked with, he did heroin. Like we knew each other we're high all the time and he did heroin. And he was like, dude, you're withdrawing really bad right now. I was like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like I know. He's like, well, I got like, some me right now you can go in the bathroom and you do a line you're gonna feel a lot better and i'm like uh let me wait and see you know what's going on and i'm texting my guy come on dude come on when when you coming when you coming because he would come to my work and yeah. pretend like he was buying stuff and i would buy him off him and um so he wasn't answering me i'm like all right whatever i'll like i'll go do it and then as i'm like walking to the bathroom with it i get a text like hey i'll be there in about a half an hour thank god i was like here's your bag bro thank you anyway dudes on his way so that was as close as i got to like sniffing heroin
0: yeah
1: besides that it was always pills like and a lot of it that's what i wanted that's i would wait days if i had to i skipped out on a free trip to scotland because i knew i wouldn't be able to make it withdrawing there
0: i got a free
1: 10-day trip to scotland there's no way i was going to that
0: yeah there's no way yeah, travel's rough, but realizing that you miss out on like a, a badass trip going to Scotland's dope. Yeah, my fam. Yeah, my fam.
1: We and yeah, they had a great time. They did everything that you'd want to do over there. My mom knows how to plan a trip. She's like a fucking pro at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and I was like, I'm just going to stay back and watch the dogs and take care of the business. That was like my excuse. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was, I had a free trip if I wanted it, but I chose to. Watch the dogs and just get high. Yeah. Watch the dogs and get high.
0: So that long, worked. And but, you said this went on for how long that you were, like, using, like, consistently for? Nine and a half years. Nine and a half years? Yeah. Jesus. And what made you want to get sober? That night that I was
1: saying about watching that documentary, High Sobriety. Yeah. And then I was driving the next day back, and I, I bought four. I had to give one to the dude. Yeah. And then I had two for myself that I did right away because I was hurting so bad. So now I'm doing a two hour drive back on a PA turnpike at eight o'clock at night or sitting for eight hours yeah. with one pill on me. And I'm like, like, what the hell am I doing? I'm like thirty one and a half at the time, like almost thirty two. Like, what the hell am I doing? Like my dog's staring at me like, I don't know, man, like in the <laughs> backseat. So I just Googled high sobriety on a Saturday night and five o'clock on a Saturday night. The dude answered his time me for two hours on the phone
0: oh shit yeah and,
1: yeah, I, and after, after that he was like yeah like i'll pay for the flight you know get out here wednesday really so yep and i was out there at wednesday i've been sober you know i drank a little bit here and there eventually but still like i haven't touched pills how did you know
0: yeah because i remember like when i went to rehab it was really weird like i was just like Hold up, you know, in like a small bedroom, didn't really leave anything, you know, going through hell. And I was watching like Netflix and there's just random TV shows and shit. But I started calling rehabs out in California because I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. And but they were like astronomically overpriced. I mean, some of them were like 80, 100,000, you know, like beyond. So how do you go from like being on the phone for two hours to somebody buying your plane ticket and ended up in like what sounds like a pretty sweet rehab in California? Yeah,
1: I ended up um, insurance covered everything except for. So first I went into a, a treatment for 28 days, you know, with everybody. Cannabis is not involved whatsoever. You know, the one company that I went to has like two sober houses and a treatment center and they run the IOP. So that's important to know for insurance because my first 30 days were in detox, you know, in the residential rehab right. where we had group meetings there and nurses, nurses are there. You do your vitals three times a day, the whole nine, you know? And then when after my, I did 29 days in there and then my insurance is like, all right, he's good get him out of there. Cause that's what it depends on your insurance. Cause then I went yeah. to my sober living, which was the high sobriety where you're allowed to use cannabis so insurance can't cover that because it's cannabis related. So insurance covered my IOP that I was going to. And then I had to just pay them rent $1,500 a month to stay there in the sober house, which yeah. isn't bad for living in LA where we were living.
0: Oh yeah. Know? no.
1: And food was included three times a day. They had somebody staff that was always there to give us rides and all that kind of stuff to meetings so fifteen hundred dollars isn't that bad. So luckily, my dad putted the bill for that for me for four months yeah. while I was there. Um, and yeah, besides that, dude, it was just like I just need money for cigarettes. I was going to. It was LA. There's two hundred and fifty meetings a week. I was going to four or five meetings a day, and I did two fifty and ninety. My first ninety days, I did two hundred fifty meetings. Jesus. Um, and that's including only thirty in my first thirty. So I did about two twenty in my last sixty of my ninety days. Yeah, yeah. That's how many meetings I was going to every day because, like, I just I, I i wasn't into it at first. But the rehab was smart because the only time we left the house was to go to a meeting outside the house. So that's the only time my first thirty days I was able to like smoke cigarettes and talk to other people besides people in my house was at these meetings. And of course, finally, one of them I heard somebody talking that like caught my attention you know, that sounded like me, his story was like mine. And we had a lot of, he was talking about pills and AA. And I was like, what is going on? Like that's allowed. And like, he literally spoke to me and now we're still good friends to this day because afterwards I'm like, dude, like I want what you have. How do I be friends with you? Like, how do I learn this? And he didn't even sponsor me. He just like would always help me out, answer questions. And we're still friends. Somebody else ended up sponsoring me, took me through the steps. He was like, right. I, I'm still working on my own steps. I don't want to take anybody else yet. I'm like, that's fine. I was like, I just want to be friends with somebody that's like me that got sober. So and we're still friends. Um, but yeah, I got in love with, fell in love with relating to people. You know, it's easy to relate out, but it's so easy to relate in when you're in meetings and you want to. So I'd find any way to relate to anybody that was talking, you know, whether they were 90 and a female Like there was a 40 year old stripper, you know, a 10 year sobriety was still stripping. I found ways to relate to her. You know what I mean? I didn't care. I was going to find a way to relate and just take something from your story. And so I just got so much from the meetings and I come back to Pennsylvania and they're like, yeah, we don't want you talking about cannabis. I'm like, but it's saving my life. They're like, yeah, well, just don't mention it. And don't mention pills either. Just say alcohol instead. I'm like, this is an honest program. You want me to run an honest program and just lie? it's not lying it's just saying things differently i'm like what that that's lying i'm trying to just be honest if i have to think about the words that i'm saying so that i can change words around to appease you that means i'm lying no matter which way you want to cut it up i'm lying we're just saying it's not going to look good and then by my year they wouldn't even give me a year chip you know they said stop coming or stop talking we're serious And I said, "All right, I'm going to stop coming because you're not going to get me to stop talking. That's for sure." Yeah. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's weird. So, like, I got my
1: one year chips from L.A. Luckily, I went there for my one year exact anniversary. Just, I wanted to be there with those people. And then I came back and I went to go get my chip at my home group, and they're like, "Yeah, no, dude, that's weird." See ya.
0: So up here, it's the uh, the cannabis thing is very prevalent to where like. Even Ann in so we live in Ann Arbor, and we have
1: recreational now even
0: there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have PA. yeah. So we have uh, like hash bash and everything. You know, Ann Arbor is like huge for weed, but when you're in like the recovery communities around here, you're still not allowed to um and so i did rehab but i did uh like na like narcotics anonymous Mm -hmm. and uh just because it was where the uncool kids went you know it was like the the smaller group so i wanted to try that one because i'm always different than everybody and so but even like you're not allowed to say that like you can go to aa meetings but it's full of like uh people that you would traditionally think are in NA, like they're talking about pills and everything, but yet they're saying sober and drinking and these things. And it's that terminology that threw me off. Cause it was hard for me to go to a meeting and have somebody try to sit there and try to tell me that, you know, smoking weed is bad for you while they're puffing on three cigarettes in 10 minutes before a meeting and chugging half a gallon of coffee. Like those are the two most addictive substances allowed. And yet, because one book that only works because it says it works. Statistically, it does not work. And so, but yet they say it works. Like, prove it, and you can't. And there's if you book. work it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you work it, and like, and there's a lot of truth to that. Like, I don't want to like discredit it by any means, but then you know, there's like I it's like, a book we, written in 1935. Yeah, by a guy on acid. And and by <laughs> a guy that was so
1: miserable by 1950, he had to sit down and write the 12 and 12. That's why he wrote the 12 and 12. Yeah, He wrote the 12 and 12 15 years after he wrote the big book. And it was only because he was so depressed in sobriety that he needed something to give him some kind of energy towards being sober again. That's how the, that's how the 12 and 12 was written, was based out of him just being miserable in sobriety 15 years after writing the big book.
0: Yeah, and like not to discredit AA by any means because a lot of people listen to this are going to be in AA. It's amazing for those that work, but you do get that overlap. There's almost like that change in guard to where like you get those people that you're not allowed to say certain things and then you get newer people like you, you know, like me, like just trying to stay alive. Does it really matter what I did or where I'm at? I feel like I'm in the right place and you're getting pushed away. I use the steps still every day. I still use, like, every time I catch a resentment, I'm doing
1: a four-step on it. Like, still to this day.
0: Like, actively I, writing I, it out and everything? No,
1: I won't write it out. Like, right. I'll do okay. it while I drive. I usually do my four steps while I'm driving. I won't put music on. I'll put the windows down, light up a smoke. Usually I have a smoke, then the windows down. But <laughs> while I'm driving, I, yeah, I'll think about, all right, what's the resentment? All right, who, why do I even care? what where am i in it once i get to where am i then i'm completely letting it go because you are inside of all your resentments obviously we know that anyone who's been through the steps knows that you can find yourself in any resentment so once you do find yourself in the in this in the resentment and you accept it it's literally you're letting that shit go and it's not weighing on you. You're not dwelling on it. You're not upset by it. You're not, it doesn't have any control over you or power over you. So like, I still do a fourth step whenever I catch one, like that's right away. You know, I'm still working through my nine step. You know, I still pray and meditate every day. I don't pray the same way everybody prays. I don't do the, our father, like Bill Mary is my higher power. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. seriously. Yeah.
0: Yep. Like, uh, like Groundhog Day, Bill Murray. Yep. Yeah, actually, um, awesome. no, even younger
1: than Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, though, like I have in my office um, a picture of my friend painting me that I met in AA. She's an artist and she painted me on canvas um, Bill Murray as Jesus with like his hands in the air, like in the clouds. Yeah. But it's Bill Murray's face on it instead of Jesus because she knew he's my higher power. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, seriously, he's been my higher power since like I can remember since I picked one. I, yeah. I am Catholic born and raised and I didn't want to call him God. I wasn't cool with that. Like I had been done with Catholicism. Like I had been done since I was 16 with Catholicism. So I didn't want to do, you know, our father and any of that kind of stuff. And, right. you know, sign of the cross. So when I pray, I just, I talk out loud and then I shut up and I listen. That's my meditating. You know, they always say you pray is manifesting, putting it out there and meditations listening to what your, your questions are hearing the answers to your questions that you're putting out there. That's how I pray and meditate as I put shit out there and then I wait to hear the answers and just putting it out there makes it real. And then shutting up and listen is how you can really hear things and process them because it's your subconscious speaking. That little voice that usually you don't want to listen to is the one you need to listen to. Then that little voice to me is Bill Murray. And it's in Caddyshack, and he's on the nineteenth green.
0: <laughs> I got him. Is is like in that mental image? Is there a gopher like shaking his ass a little bit? That gopher is you. Was the pills that I was chasing <laughs> that first high?
1: People say you chase a dragon. I'm chasing that gopher.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So that's so like I gotta assume that's how you go from like california rehab you come back and like i'm assuming there's some distaste in aa because they kind of shoved you away so you can't come here and now you got your own shit how do you like that has been said a million times and no one does it so yeah
1: yeah when i had moved then from the area i was in i was in hershey area first
0: okay where i was michigan hates that city yeah yeah so so we get the uh so like we're surrounded by the lakes and the waters and everything and so it's publicly known that pennsylvania takes a lot of water from michigan and they don't pay for it and Uh so it's all like the pipelines and then the gas prices and everything because michigan's ridiculous for gas prices i remember and so you can get a lot of people saying that it's because of hershey they're like the water and the gas and everything so that's funny well you know, I didn't I, I liked things that smelled like chocolate and then I and then
1: I was out of there <laughs> um I ended up my my wife lived about an hour north in the middle of the mountains and so that's okay. where she has you know a kid from a, our first marriage so it was just easier for me to uproot than her mm-hmm. um so I came up here and it's a really conservative area like I mean not to get into politics because I don't want to but it was like a 70-30 red blue split last election that's how like conservative this area is and I was saying to her she she had she was an alcoholic self admittedly and then she had slowed down a lot and then I had started here and there again at all my 13 months of my sobriety being clean I bought a six-pack of twisted tea and I said fuck them I drank four and I poured two out out of spite because they said I wouldn't be able to pour a drink out you know what I mean and then, um, yeah, it was one of those. Yeah. And then, and I drank here and there, like I would be at my parents' house swimming. I would have some twisted teas, you know, and it wasn't ever alcoholically. It was here and there, have a couple and move on. And then February 28th of last year, 2020, I, I don't know why, but I killed a bottle of Jack woke up the next day, hung over his shit. And I said to her, well, I'm done drinking again. Cause I don't, the whole point was not to be hung over. And I don't want to be hungover. Like, I'm done with this shit. She was like, I'll quit with you. So, and plus we figured 229 is a cool sober date because it's leap day. You know what I mean? Like, you only get a yeah. sober, sober birthday every four years now. But I said, um, I wonder, I wish we could go to a meeting. Like, I, I love going to meetings. And she was like, yeah, I don't want to go to AA. Because, like, her dad's got, like, 30 years. He's an old head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's just old timer, what they call him. Yeah. You know. Um, there are the same in every single place you go. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to go. And I was like, well, I know I, I want to go. And I want to talk about like cannabis. We're both medical patients. We both have a medical marijuana card. We use it responsibly. And um, I was like, I wish we could just start our own, you know, one of those. And she's like, well, you know, where could we? And then I was like, you know, there's a lot of empty buildings around here. And then COVID hit two weeks later. And we're like, oh, well, I'm high risk. We're not going to do that right now. Like I was sick at the time my, my gallbladder wasn't even functioning, but they thought it was a tumor. So that was like high risk for COVID. So we weren't going out at all and just planning to do like this. Like it was going to be actually a comedy club. It was going to be a comedy club on the top and the bottom floor was going to be a metaphysical shop because she's in the crystals and witchcraft and all that stuff. Sure. And we were going to do meetings whenever we weren't doing comedy shows out of the comedy club. And then the bank, you know, would only give me so much. So we couldn't afford to do both. So I was like, well, they're going to give us seven grand. So we have our stimulus money. Let's get a place and just do the nonprofit for now. And so we got a great place on an old building. Like it's on a historical society. That's how old it is. And it used to be a, the newspaper around here. The local newspaper used to be in there in nineteen hundred. We still have original equipment in the basement from nineteen hundred from the paper. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, like the really old building. It's cool as shit. And we could have got a building that was like move-in ready, and it was like the same amount of money every month. However, the other building we is huge, but we can grow into that building. The other building we were going to grow out of with it really fast. Right. So I was like, I'd rather spend the same amount of money and grow in and have to fix the building up. So Mm -hmm. we took the really old building instead that had so much work to be done. But the landlord liked what we were doing. It's been empty for a decade, that building. And he let us move in for free and let us move with no down payment and the first month for free. And we didn't have to start paying until we were already there for a month and only 500 a month. So I got a good deal out of that one. That was a big victory yeah so the other place the other place is like all right 1100 dollars to move in then 550 a month and then i talked to this guy to tell him what we're doing i was like you know it has a lot of work that needs to be done on your side so we're probably going to go the other way but unless you can throw me a really good deal i'll probably take it to be honest he was like how about you move in right now no money down and then give me your first month rent in july and i'm like this is june 2nd he's like yep and rents due july 1st 500 bucks you don't have to pay me anything here's your key so let's do it oh yeah <laughs> yeah i yeah. took that deal instead yeah i'd rather for get the sure. a historical building that you know we could figure out and like get grants for and all that you know we have a room that's a meditation room that my wife does meditations out of every day at 10 15 people okay. come in they do a guided meditation and shit um we even have a room that we're fixing up as a kid's room Um, I have my entire podcast studio in the one room, which the only reason I'm not recording it now is because we don't have internet there yet. And I ran out of hotspot data on my (laughs) phone from recording other podcasts. So, but yeah. And then we have our giant meeting room. That's like huge. We fit, there's probably on average 10, 15 people there, but we only have 20 seats on purpose because we don't want more than 20 people there for a meeting. We'd rather the meeting stay smaller. Because you know how it is, you go to a large meeting, people don't even want to talk, they're afraid to talk, they, you know, it's, it's overwhelming for people, as opposed to meetings that are like 10 people, you get the most out of, everyone's interacting together, you feel How do you go about together.
0: turning people away?
1: <clears throat> we haven't had to yet, okay. um, but the when it happens, if it happens, we have four meetings a day, we have like four different meetings a day, five different meetings on weekends. So it's like, well, you can catch the next one. You know what I mean? Like literally I don't see it happening because we are like in a small town still. Like our town is mostly overtaken by the college here that has 8,000 students. And then the town has like 7,000 people, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's, you know, yeah. We haven't yeah. had it happen. I don't foresee it happening you know i think people will just if they want to stand they can stand but it's on purpose that there's only 18 seats
0: yeah so what know? are you doing for literature and everything because i know like like what's your format like are you just doing like open talk style meetings or there's a
1: lot of open talk yeah because they're all different things and we're still trying to figure out who likes what like let's say thursday yeah. so tonight um is the lgbtq plus and the lgbtq plus um, youth meetings So, you know, those meetings are more open because it's like, oh, I want to talk about the the HRT, like, how does that work? And somebody who else is transitioning might have questions about HRT and they can talk to each other about it, like more of an open forum, like, you know, whenever, because there's, you know, a few different people that came in so far that are, you know, trans. So, but they're still not sure how to do it. So they can talk to each other about it in a safe environment. We lock the doors for them. So nobody random can just walk in and everyone can feel safe about what they're talking about and, you know, information being shared. Right. Um, so, but like, what's it Friday nights are for people that are doing harm reduction, like tapering. Um, because every night we have a different like theme meeting at six 30. So we have that kind of thing. And then like, there's a meeting for people that have COVID anxiety. There's a meeting for people that have trauma you know, specific trauma they wanna talk about and talk, you know, um, then we have the abstinence meeting, which is kind of like AA. Then there's the medical marijuana meeting for anybody who's a cannabis patient to come in and talk about, you know, the program and why they use what and how they use it. Like, I don't smoke flour. I don't smoke anything. My wife does. And she uses it in moderation and to microdose and I use RSO capsules to microdose. Mm -hmm. So like everyone has different things. People don't even know what RSO is. So just a way to like talk about our medicine in an open environment, you know, that's safe. So we have a lot of different things. Plus we have mental health check-ins twice a day, 9am and 8pm. You can literally open what's, how was your day? You know, anything you want to talk about, whether it's urges, from addiction or you know their special needs there's people like with ASD um Aspergers that will come in there that you know had a rough day they want to talk about it you know uh, so
0: good yeah so you're kind of like offering like the mental health check-ins it sounds like it's almost just like a free like therapy free i mean therapy. yeah is that kind of like what your game yeah. was oh okay yeah.
1: yeah and and i've openly told people we are not professionals yeah, you know, we we tell everybody that. Listen, we are just people that are just fucked up and have experience. Oh yeah, you know and that's what you so need. and it, yeah, and it, 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 all the because quali- someone actually challenged me on Facebook. They're like, "What are your qualifications for running this? What did you go to school for?" Uh, and I'm like, "Have you ever been to an AA meeting? Because I don't think you have. Because the only qualification to run an AA meeting is to be an alcoholic. Yeah, same <laughs> with NA. The only qualification is to be an addict." There's no qualifications. As long as I'm upfront and honest about that, I'm telling everybody, I did not go to school for this, but I spent 10 years in addiction. And also I've been engaged to somebody who was bipolar, schizophrenic, and now married to somebody who is bipolar. So I have a lot of experience in mental health and being around it and how we talk to and communicate to each other. And my wife, obviously, she's an alcoholic, so she has experience with that. And she has experience with mental illness because she has experienced living around it and having it.
0: Yeah, you know? I think the big thing from that is like uh just outsiders and I, I mean outsiders is like a person that's not going to traditionally go to like your meetings.
1: Yeah, that was they're... from Arizona, dude. He was yeah. two thousand miles away talking shit.
0: Yeah, those people I feel like they just want to have a voice. You know, they just want to kind of like butt in and make it seem like you're not doing what they would do or that there's supposed to be somebody else in charge that has paperwork backing them. When in reality, it sounds like you just tied up your strap, bootstraps and hit the ground and you don't have like you're just doing whatever you can do to help people. And unfortunately, those are the scenarios to where people try to overstep and because it's not formalized, because it's not this and it's not that, it prevents other people from actually taking those steps, um, which sucks. And those people need to shut up. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I mean, you know, I don't see them doing it. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You, you putting something like, yeah. and all, I and mean, all we did was we fixed up a couple of rooms and we put some couches in there and let people meet with the doors open, no matter what your problem is, just to get stuff off your chest about your day. Yeah. You know, and we have a bunch of regulars that come every day to our meetings and there's, some of them are addicts and some of them have, you know, trauma in their past that they're dealing with. And they're trying to, you know, learn how to live with trauma. And there's people that, you know, just have special needs and, you know, they're frustrated in their day and they get anxious. They get depressed and they get frustrated and have anger. Mm-hmm. We You know, we've talked to, you know, there's a lot of amazing one person is in the Special Olympics all the time. She was just in Seattle now. She's like an alternate for this year's Special Olympics.
0: Oh, it's amazing.
1: You know what I mean? Like, we get yeah. to hear cool stuff like that. And then, like, there's a lot of, you know, trauma stuff that comes in that people are working through. and But they're figuring it out as, like, you know, coming in for the first time, being able to talk to people. It's been great to see yeah. just the changes in people so far. So I don't care. Fuck a degree. I'm not going to get one. <laughs> you know, I have plenty of experience and if if any of them have a problem with, they can sit in our meetings and listen to us talk because you know damn well the only professionals that came to our meetings are like, hey, I'm blah, 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 and I'm a nurse and I'm here for school just to observe. Those are the only kind of professional caretakers that came to NA and AA meetings. They were the nurses that were going to nursing school and they were required to go to the meetings to observe. Literally, that was the only professional person with a degree that I would see inside those crowds so yeah i'm not
0: yeah yeah no exactly so you're doing this meeting thing uh not meeting thing i don't mean to minimize it no 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 yeah yeah, yeah 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 you started this meeting place but you also have a podcast studio and you're mm-hmm. having like athletes on how is that like is that just kind of like you trying to broaden your voice to or like what exactly is the goal of that
1: well i we when i was in um when I, when I was in addiction i used to do stand-up comedy And I love talking and writing jokes and make people laugh. And then, you know, COVID and all that. And I got sober, so I was taking time off. And then when I was finally feeling comfortable again, you know, I moved and then COVID happened. So that's why I was like, I want a comedy club. Because then I'll be able to do comedy here and I won't have to travel. And I can just bring people here to do comedy. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of the idea behind that. And I love podcasts. All my favorite comedians do podcasts. So I'm always watching them and I'm always like, I could probably do that, but I don't, I'm not going to do it on that. I would do it on something I know and I'm passionate about, which is recovery. Like, and I am, I started, I met a comedian in North Carolina and we're doing a comedians comedian podcast where we're just going to talk stand up comedy the entire time and just fuck around. Oh yeah. It's like two beers, one cave. That's my that's my introduction to podcasts. I watch them <laughs> every single Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I was just literally watching a Segura special earlier today. Like I he's him and Tom are my, him and Bert are my oh, favorite. Yeah. Like my podcast studio, I have um a, a machine. Yeah. I have a burt I have a Bert one, and then I have one that's Bert, Joe Rogan, Tom, and Ari that look dressed like the blues brothers. And I have that on my wall in my podcast studio, too. Oh, that's too. dope. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, exactly like two bears, one K. But I just, I was like, I, if I'm going to do one, I want to do something around that I can speak to, like, that I'm really passionate about, which is recovery. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to other people about their journey through it and why, like, what you what you talk about at meetings, you know, where were you, what happened, and where are you at now?
0: Yeah. Have you heard of Armchair Expert?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, really good one.
1: Yeah. And he just opened up about it relapsing. You know that, right?
0: No. He, he relapsed I did not.
1: last September. Um, and he opened up about it after 17 years of being sober. Who um, did he, he talk got, to about that? It's... He to Zoe, his um as, you know, the person who does the podcast with him, and yeah. his wife, Kristen. Kristen Bell. Um, but yeah, he got okay. so messed up on painkillers. Um, He got, he was doing that movie chips a few years ago, right. Mm -hmm. Where he was like the cop, you know, chips or whatever. And he was in a motorcycle accident and then he got prescribed pills again. And he ran out and eventually, you know, he started doing Vicodin again then doing Percocets and yep. So he flat out admitted that, you know, like, Hey, I was drinking and I, I relapsed and I'm starting over this past September after like being sober 17 years. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, yeah. but that's
0: good for him to actually admit that stuff, though. A lot of people will try to hide it.
1: I think it's yeah. AA. So people have, I think people that have the strong, you know, program, whether they're active or not, they still have that conscious, that subconscious AA voice. Yeah. Like, you're fucking up. You're fucking up. Say something. <laughs> you say something. You're going to kill yourself if you don't say something. Yeah. And, you know, I hear that voice all the time. Not anymore because I, you know, I'm sober and I'm doing meetings, but even when I was drinking sporadically and not even like, like I said, I was purposely pouring out twisted teas, laughing like, ha ha, I can pour this out, but you know, yeah, it was dumb. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh, excuse me. But either way, like now, you know, I don't care about drinking. When I got sober, I didn't plan to stop drinking. I plan to stop doing pills. And then I went 13 months without drinking and now I've gone more than a year again. And I don't plan on drinking because I stopped again, because this time I wanted to stop drinking and I wasn't told I had to stop. Right. But my sober date, if anyone asks me, my sober date's still four twenty-five eighteen, 18 even though I've had drinks in between. It, because you're not taking my sober date from me, because that date to me isn't a date for sobriety, it's a date that my life stopped being unmanageable. You know, my life never became unmanageable when I drank here and there for those eight months. Yeah. You know, my life didn't, I didn't go off the rails. I didn't lose a job. I didn't get arrested. You know, I woke up hungover one time and I said, fuck it, I'm done again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to me, four twenty five eighteen means it's the day that my life stopped being unmanageable.
0: It's hilarious to me to hear that just because I, as you're saying this, I can actively hear four people in my head that want to argue against you. And you know who those people are. Like, you don't know them. the same I've already people had, I there's, I've already had these <clears throat> yeah, arguments. Bro. Yeah, those same people. I can hear it in, like, my, what I, I, I want to put this out there, that I have seen people get out of a car and the needle followed them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's still in their lap. They didn't, they forgot to put it away. Yeah. Went in and collected a two-year token. You know what I mean? It's like you were saying earlier that like you weren't allowed to get your chip and all this stuff. What I was taught and it was one of the greatest things is that it doesn't matter what the rest of the room thinks or knows. It's your program. It's your life. And why does anyone else give a shit what you do? Yeah. And so I, I commend you for going out and actually saying that and doing that just because I know those people. Those are the same people that want to keep you out of the rooms and teach you how to do things their way. Mm-hmm. But they're always the ones that are the high stress, angry one, like in- yeah, the angry <laughs> people in sobriety that have been mm-hmm. doing it 20 years and they're miserable. Yeah.
1: You know, and I didn't want to ever be like that. You know, I didn't want to be miserable in sobriety or else I would keep on using, yeah. you know, <laughs> if I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be more high.
0: Yeah. For sure. <laughs> you
1: know, So, no, I didn't get sober just to be miserable. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And the only thing is is being self-aware and not being my own therapist. Don't be my own pharmacist. Talk to people. Talk to my wife. Talk to my therapist. You know, be open with people and be honest. So that's all I ever do. I don't have to go to bed worrying about what I lied about today because I don't have to lie. And just the fact that you want me to lie about little things, it adds up. Don't tell me that little lies don't add up because they tell us in therapy little lies do add up. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm being told here that you can't do little lies or else it's going to grow and grow and grow. But you guys are like, no, it's okay to lie and say alcohol and not pills because everybody else will be offended. Fuck off. Like, I still said pills openly. I never once, when I was like, yeah, I used to drive two hours each direction for alcohol because I couldn't find it elsewhere. You really want me to say that? In my story, I was driving two hours to buy alcohol because I couldn't find it anywhere else. Seriously, there's stores everywhere. Yeah. You know, don't. <laughs> it's good. In my story it was I'm ridiculous. Then I'm going to sound like a liar. I don't, I'm not going to lie. So yeah. I never lied. And I said, and I was like, plus you guys don't even know I use cannabis unless I told you. I yeah. was being honest and I told you. It's not like I come in here, your eyes bloodshed. And just like passing out the entire time going, hey, man, you know, I'm JD. I'm an alcoholic. No, I don't sound like a fucking stoner when I'm talking. I sound like an adult. Like I'm here to be sober. Let's have sobriety together.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, so I want to I touch on the, the canvas thing and then I can let you go. What, so you went to the rehab in California and they pretty much, like the way we were talking earlier, they taught you you know, to like your relationship, they taught you how to use it. How does that still follow you today? Like in those lessons you learned, like what exactly, I mean, without like giving like the curriculum, you know, or no, like I mean, whatever, you know, like
1: even little things that I never even realized, like I smoked, if I smoke sativa or even when I, when I used sativa, it strains, it's only until about noon, two o'clock in the afternoon. Then I switch to a hybrid. If I'm going to microdose and I'm using hybrids in the afternoon and the evening, And then indica strains at night. So that indica will knock me out. And I won't use indica in the morning. Because to me, that's not properly using it. Because I'm going to be tired and and drag all day. I'm not going to use sativa at night. Because that's going to keep me up all night. You know? So it's little things like that. They're like behavior things that I try not to do. Um, But at the same time, I don't ever get, like, too euphoric. You know, I don't even say hi. But Mm -hmm. I hate getting too high there's been plenty of times that by accident you know trial and error of trying to figure stuff out that i've gotten ripped and i didn't like it you know and it just like oh okay that's way too much i won't do that again and because it reminds me of those other feelings yeah. so i'm just self-aware it's it's all about being self-aware and being honest with yourself
0: Yeah, i'm for never
1: sure. like going oh that's a really good high that i want to get again it's like i don't like getting that high anymore
0: yeah, so you kind of have to like build a relationship. It sounds like,
1: yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I'm responsible about it. I'll do some, you know, 10 milligrams in the morning just to wake up and, you know, but my coffee and 10 milligram pill in the afternoon and then like 30 to go at night. Cause that will help me sleep. Mm-hmm. Cause I have had problems with sleep since I was eight. So if I don't use cannabis, then I'm awake the entire night, literally no matter what like i said to my therapist like oh yeah i'm a night owl and i'm an early bird she was like no you're an insomniac (laughs) like that's what that is and i'm like okay well you have your word i have mine
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure all right
1: yeah i'll let you go oh no no you're good what you gonna say no but no but i didn't want to take tramadol oh yeah cannabis at night it was seroquil or tramadol yeah. And I don't want to take sleep meds to go to sleep because then I'm like, I feel like I'm hungover in the morning.
0: Well, not only that, but it's also after a while tramadol stops working, you know, and then like you might need to go like up to those triangle ones. And then those things are time machines and you wake up two days later and you have no That's idea what I happened. Mean.
1: I, I, yeah. It's not even natural. So if I'm going to have sleep problems, it's going to be with weed and nothing else.
0: Yeah, yeah for but, sure.
1: Yeah. No, it's early. I got to go on anyway. I didn't realize time
0: all right cool yeah so, well uh how about you just let everybody know what your podcast name is and where they oh, yeah. can reach you up at and uh mj's
1: like michael jordan mj's progress not perfection all right. and just type it into youtube it's on youtube and it's on spotify and um and our facebook we have all the clips on there too
0: all right cool and i'll link those all below and all right, cool. uh cool thanks man. cool all right hope you have a all good right, thanks, day buddy. i appreciate Take it you easy, yeah, i'll talk yeah. to you see ya. Yep.